Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Welcome to Monday. Nice and sunny today after a bit of a gloomy day yesterday. Without question. Happy Monday, Brett McGarry. I see you got uh, you got pranked. I did. Saturday morning. <laughs> the pranks are alive and well going back and forth here at 680 CJOV. There was some revenge that was uh, that happened. What happened last Saturday, so two Saturdays ago, I decided to encase the desk of one Tristan Field Jones in uh, a wall of paper, a cocoon of paper using approximately, I don't know, 50 sheets of paper, which were had already been used. They pulled them out of the recycle bin and they ended up back in the recycle bin. And retro, they, revenge was taken. I got to work on Saturday. So after I left work Friday, Tristan came back. I learned not just Tristan, but uh, he also had some assistance from another colleague. An accomplice. They, <laughs> so what they did was they put up a similar barrier of paper in, on sort of blocking off the main part of the desk and then filled that. So my desk became essentially a bowl. Right, it's the three cubicle walls, and then this wall of paper in the front, and they crumpled up. I don't know, like twenty newspapers, individually, page by page, and filled it up like a bowl. So, and then they, at the end of the shift, and this is funny. So, like, I got to work and found all of that, and I had a great laugh. I thought, oh, they got me. They got me good. This is a good prank. And then at the end of my shift, I open my desk drawer. I've got three desk drawers. There's two regular size ones, and then there's a third one that's bigger and deeper. And they had filled that up with crumpled newspaper. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, how did I miss this? And then they filled up my two smaller drawers with packing peanuts <laughs> that they went out of their way to buy. They spent $8 in packing oh peanuts. Oh, my gosh. So <clears throat> they got me. Is that a, a form of affection when you are the victim of a practical joke? I like to think so. I do too. As long as it's and it's, as long as it's not, it doesn't go too far to the point where you are where it's really onerous on that person to have to clean it up. Right. Like if you were to, if I were to fill your car, for example, with ping pong balls, I don't know. That, that, would, be, that would be funny. It would be funny. But if I were to cover your car and in tar. Yes. That would be terrible. That's destructive and hateful. Yeah, exactly. It so. would be our last show. <laughs> Just for the record. Uh, we've got a jam-packed uh, show for you, including a conversation with Constable Tammy uh, Scraybeck of the Winnipeg Police Service. You may have heard about an individual who was released from prison. There was a warning to the public on his high risk to reoffend status. So it got us thinking, and we've been working on this since last week, the idea of why are high-risk offenders ever released in the first place? Turned out that this individual within six days had broken the terms of his release and was wanted again by police, and by Saturday he was back in custody. So we'll find out some of the steps that police take in tracking these individuals when they're released from prison, how much do they have to do to breach their release conditions and uh, find out why are they released in the first place? I think this is a question a lot of us have. And in this particular case, this is an individual who, this is sort of the, this seems to be his thing where he's in and out of Correct. the system because he, he, he exits jail, breaches his parole, and goes back in over and over and over and over and over again. So we'll try and get some insight on that. We also will play for you a conversation we had on the escalating cost. We anticipate 
that the cost of university education in Manitoba could go up as much as 30% over the next five years. We will visit with a gentleman who wrote an article. You may have seen it in the Winnipeg Free Press today, an opinion on why that's a bad thing, not only for students, but a bad thing for our economy and society overall. We'll get some insight onto into that. We did that conversation and interview a little bit earlier today. And Brett, in retrospect, our guest brings up some really good points. It's interesting that he. one of the things he talks about is how people are going into university. They're, like he's pointing to other uh, universities where the tuition has gone up. So it's become more expensive to go to school. So it costs you more money to go to school. That gives you an increased debt load. So then that is determining what kind of profession you're taking instead of maybe being a lawyer who advocates for lower income people or advocates for the environment, you might become a lawyer uh, for corporate finance, something that is more lucrative for you so that you can deal with your debt load. So that's great for you, but not necessarily the most productive in terms of overall society. And the example I'm going to give you right now didn't come up in our conversation, but in Iceland, During the financial crisis of 2006, 2007, 2008, in the lead up to that, in Iceland, they had a fairly strong, the equivalent of the National Securities uh, Securities Commission, and individuals that were working for the government trying to do the right thing by the people would be consistently and constantly lured to the private sector by huge salaries to the point that there was essentially no... There was absolutely no oversight of what was going on in the financial industry because all the best people had been poached from the public service (laughs) into the private industry, uh, into the private financial banking world. And these individuals uh, were walking away from what they thought was obviously the right thing to do. But money talks quite often. So we'll get into that conversation later on. We've got tickets, a couple of different sets of tickets to give away, Age of Electric tickets and also tickets to a fundraiser coming up on Friday night. Richard Cloutier and I will be there, in fact. I don't know if that'll encourage you to come or maybe make you decide you don't want to come at all. It's called <laughs> Winstock. It's the 13th annual Battle of the Bands for, uh, for Winnipeg uh, Charity. And it's all put on by the financial services here in Winnipeg. Uh, They're all amateur bands, but you would never know it. They're absolutely spectacular. So it'll be a live music extravaganza. We've got tickets for that all week long. And we want to ask you about your best, worst excuses for a car accident or otherwise in light of this story out of Idaho from, from last week. This is in the headline reads, Idaho woman says she crashed into a deer because she saw a Sasquatch. Northern Idaho woman told police she crashed into a deer because she was distracted by a Sasquatch in her rear view mirror. The 50-year-old woman was driving south on, so this would have been Wednesday about a week and a half ago, when she struck a deer near a place called Potlatch. The woman told sheriff's officials that she saw a Sasquatch chasing a deer on the side of the road while driving. She says she checked one of her mirrors to get a second look at the beast, and when she looked up, the deer ran in front of her. Sheriff's officials marked the incident as a vehicle versus deer collision, but did not report any evidence of Bigfoot. That's ludicrous, right? Yeah. But people will do whatever they need to do to maybe get out of paying a deductible or admitting fault. And it doesn't have to be when you're behind the wheel and getting an accident. It can be just about over anything. Mm Mm-hmm. 
sometimes the more ludicrous the situation, it'd be just easier just to say, yeah, I messed up. <laughs> like Jeff's story, right? I touched the bumper of this woman in front of me yesterday. We exchanged pleasantries, and ultimately the lady said, you know what? Let's call it a wash. Let's let's leave as friends. But I think when you start playing the blowhard and get out of your car and you shouldn't have stopped and, and it's all your fault, uh, you, you, the opportunity for that conciliation disappears really quick. Yeah. Yeah, man, you know, that's really a really an incredible story. Uh, night, Jeff met a nice lady. So I think her name is Helen. That's right. It was Helen, Helen, if you're listening, you know who you are. You did a, a very nice thing. Not because you let Jeff off the hook, because if Jeff had hit me and rubbed paint off of my bumper, I'd be nailing him to the cross, <laughs> but because you did a good thing as a citizen. 204-780-6868, your, your best, or maybe the question is your worst excuses. It doesn't have to be regarding a car crash. could be anything. You were late for work. Late for, I don't know, a date. Maybe you couldn't hand in an assignment at school. I don't know. Maybe you were late for class. I actually had a story that sounded like I was making things up. But it was true? It was, I was, so I was running kind of behind for one of my classes at Red River College in creative communications. It was my, I think, Tuesday morning television class, which started, I don't know, nine o'clock. And... I was putting my jacket on. I was rushing. I would have made it on time, but I was rushing. And when I put my jacket on, I guess as I, I just sort of went to put my left arm in the, the sleeve, it sort of whipped up and it smashed off this light fixture in my parents' kitchen and just shattered it into a billion pieces of glass all over the place. Which I, And I was the last one in the house. And I can't just leave that. For the, because we have a dog. This is back in, I think, 2001, 2002. So I had to clean it up. I couldn't just leave it. So I show up late and I phoned my, I tried to phone my instructor, Dean. I phoned him, left him a message and said, listen, I'm going to be late. This is what happened. This is why I'm really sorry. Show up for class. Of course, I was, I think I was 10 minutes late. And he says, what are you doing? Why are you late? I said, well, I called you. I left you a message. Did you not get it? Uh, you know what? I don't care. If you can't show up in time, don't show up at all. And he just shut the door on me. Oh, my. And that, that was that. So I <laughs> might have sounded like I made up this ridiculous excuse. And I'm sure to him it would have sounded insane. Oh, I broke my light and it's a billion pieces and I don't want my dog to get... But it happened. It sounds kind of ludicrous. It does. It sounds like I'm really stretching to make things up. It was in creative communications course. It was... Kind of a creative story. I think you should have got extra marks <laughs> if it had been fake based on the course that you were taking at the time. So he wouldn't let you in the class based on what? On not having the work done? No, because I was late. Because you were late? Because I was late. Oh. If you don't show up on time, don't show up at all. We had, uh, Mr. Schreier, if you're listening, we had a teacher, uh, Lori Schreier at Daniel Mack, who had a three late equaled an absence policy. Oh. Okay. So this is over an entire semester. Uh, I was notoriously late, like screeching in to the door as the bell still ringing. And I'd kind of, you know, I'd get that look <laughs> in my eye. Bell still ringing, Mr. Shire. I'm not late, you know. But, you know, the whole idea of five minutes earlier or you're late. Mm-hmm. If you're not five minutes early, you're late. Uh, it never occurred to me at all. I was always pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope, pushing the envelope. Because I wanted to be socializing in the hallways, right? Well, 
I had, I knew I'd accumulated two lates. And one day I got to the door, not in time, slammed the door shut on my face and kind of waved at me that little, (laughs) you know, the finger wave through the door. And so I think he was anticipating I'd go down to the office to get a late slip. But I figured, well, if I'm going to get marked for an absent, I'm going to be absent. (laughs) So I went down to the cafeteria. Of course, this is grade 12. There's all sorts of people in the cafeteria. I'm having a good laugh, relaxing. (laughs) Well, who comes down to the cafeteria but Laurie Schreier? Really? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mr. Mackling, I thought I might find you down here. I said, well, you wouldn't let me into class. That was my third late. He says, yeah, but you go to the office, you get a late slip, and I'll let you in. I said, well, you're going to mark me absent. If I'm going to be absent, I'm going to have fun. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so what happened? I went to class the next day. He, oh. had, he could not argue with me That's with true. the logic. The logic was too good. <laughs> did he end up marking you absent? Of course he did. Okay. <laughs> I called it a self-imposed spare. I have a self-imposed spare. So there you go. You can be as creative as you want. We want your... Best, worst excuses for anything. We got a text message here at 7806868. We're talking about the wildlife and and how, you know, uh, I was got into it with my stepdad about the deer hitting his car. Mm-hmm. Apparently there's no deductible for wildlife collisions in Manitoba. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have to look into that, but thank you for I'm on the MPI website right now. We'll see if we can find the answer. 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text. An Idaho woman last week crashed into a deer because she says she saw a Sasquatch. <laughs> That's right. She was distracted by Bigfoot. That was her story, and she stuck to it. What is your best or worst excuse for anything, be it a car crash Playing poorly on the golf course, late for class, couldn't hand in an assignment because the dog ate your homework or whatever. 204-780-6868, the number to call, number to text. Or maybe you, not your best worst excuses, but maybe someone has fed you an excuse. What's the best worst excuse that you have been fed by somebody? Oh, I was late because there was a train and uh, then my I had a flat tire and uh, uh, I don't know. 204-780-6868. You're not selling it, Brett. No. You're not selling it at all. <laughs> no. 204-780-6868. My email address is brett at cjob.com. His is gmac at cjob.com. Your forecast is up next. 122. Idaho woman says she crashed into a deer because she saw a Sasquatch. Distracted her. She hit a deer. And by the way, been on the MPI website. If you have a deductible of $100, $300, you do not pay your deductible, if you have a collision with wildlife, if you have a $500 deductible, you're obligated to pay that. Gary is at 204-780-6868. Gary, what's your uh, best, worst excuse story? Hey, guys. Uh, how's it going? So my story was I was driving once from uh, Cranbrook, B.C., out into um, to Edmonton. I was driving from Alberta, uh, B.C. to Edmonton to Alberta. And I, I drank a lot on the way, just like Gatorade, water, whatnot, just kind of energy drinks and whatnot. And I was, I was doing a little speed a little bit, and I got pulled over. And I honestly, I, I, didn't, I couldn't afford the ticket, so I didn't want the ticket. I was like, you know what, I need to come up with some kind of story. And I just, I was drawing a blank, and I was, I was obviously, I was, I, was, I was speeding a little bit. 
And I didn't know what to tell the, tell, tell the officer when he pulled up. And I was just like trying to draw a blank. And the first thing that came to my mind was I had all these bottles sitting there and I really did have to go to the bathroom. So I told him, I said, you know what, man? I just, I really got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, what? That's why you're speeding? I'm like, I just got to go so bad. And, and it was, it was like for a moment he looked at me and then he goes, okay, go. He <laughs> just let me off. Really? <laughs> yeah, he just let me go. And then he goes, I better see you at the next rest stop. But he just literally let me go. He saw all the bottles in my car. It was the first thing that came to my head. And I just told him, I said, man, I really got to go to the bathroom. And he's like, all right, man, just go. <laughs> right on, Gary. Good for you, Gary. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story. I've often wondered if that story works on police officers. But in this case, it wasn't a story. I mean, hey, sometimes... I'm sure that the officers can relate to that, too. They spend all day driving of around. Of they can. So, yeah, they, he, he can relate to that. Absolutely. Virginia is at 204-780-6868. What's your story, Virginia? Well, I was just going to say, I think this starts pretty young. I volunteer at a kindergarten class. That's a little reading program, and the kids take a paper and some books home, and then they come back with the paper and the books. And the one little boy came back, and his paper was... Well, it looked like it had been through a meat chopper or something. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I don't want to make a fuss for this child. And uh, But as I was looking at the paper, I saw Mom had written a note saying, sorry, our cat eats paper. <laughs> So thought, the mom wrote the oh, note, eh? It starts really young. Mom made up this. Now, I don't know. Maybe their cat does eat paper. But anyway, this was... Uh, it's the original oh, one. It's the original one, right, Virginia? My dog ate the paper. Thank you, Virginia. I appreciate that story. And, and hey, there, I'm, I cats are mischievous, so I'm sure it's that possible. that's true. Larry is at 204-780-6868. Hey, Larry, what's your story? Hi. Um, a buddy of mine had forgotten his wife's birthday, and uh, he was really upset that, that he had done that. He what kind of reaction he was going to get, so I said, you know what? I have the perfect thing for you to do. I want you to go and buy a fruit, preferably a red or a blueberry pie, and go buy flowers, buy her gift, buy her update card, and when she comes home, just before she gets in the door, poke your finger in the pie, have it around your mouth, and then hold the flowers up in front of your face so she can't see it. Hand her card, say, honey, I'm sorry I forgot your birthday. Here's the card. Here's your gift. And then hand her the flowers. When she's the dots on your face around your mouth, she's going to ask, what is that? And you just tell her, honey, I felt so bad. I ate humble pie. He oh. said it was the best sex he'd ever had. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Global News is up next. One thirty-four. And Wednesday marks the 20th anniversary of the blizzard that took southern Manitoba full bore into the flood of the century. 2017 has had its share of flooding situations already. Matt Cardy, global reporter, is in Carmen, Manitoba, where school was canceled because of the flooding. Matt, uh, what's the situation in Carmen as we speak to you at 1.34 this afternoon? Hey, Greg. Uh, yeah, I'm standing along the Boyne River here, and I've had a chance already to speak with some homeowners who live right on this river. And we are, be, or we are being told about basement flooding as this water from the Boyne River comes onto the land here and into homes. 
I spoke with one woman. She has been up all night, didn't even get a wink of sleep because she was wanting to make sure that the flooding that was in her basement wasn't as bad or couldn't get any worse. She had two pumps going in her basement. Uh, it was a pretty uh, interesting setup uh, is what they, the, the floor would um, put all the water into, a, I guess it would be a hole about three or four feet deep, and there would be two pumps in there pushing it back out into the river. And actually, an interesting story from this woman, uh, she told me that uh, one of her pumps broke down yesterday afternoon, or yesterday evening, rather, and of course, all the stores in town closed uh, by this time, but uh, she knew somebody who worked at the local hardware store, went over to his home and asked her, asked this gentleman if she could, uh, the gentleman could call his boss so she could purchase a pump, because she desperately needed one, but instead, that worker went to the hardware store, got her a pump, and didn't even charge her for it just the kind of stories that I've been hearing out here, guys, here in Carmen. Uh, another one is people going around town, complete strangers showing up to homes along the river here, sandbagging and, and uh, speaking with this one woman. She didn't even know the names of anybody who helped her out over the weekend. Uh, it's a uh, good old Manitoba spirit. We saw it in 97. We see it every time there's sandbagging required communities coming together. There's a big concern about the wa- fresh water supply in Carmen. Is that fair to say, Matt? Yeah, that's right. Uh, there has been some backups, and they've had to shut the water down in some parts. I uh, was speaking with a, a homeowner here and said it's you know it's uh, icing on the cake today. Not only is the river coming in through their back, but at the front, the water was uh, turned or the the, 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 sump, the pump here broke or the water main broke here, so there is water about to come into the front, and they had to shut down the water. So it's uh, it's kind of tough when it comes to uh, water today here in Carmen, Manitoba. But you know what? Uh, I'm just standing on the side of the riverbank here and you can already see how the water is beginning to recede uh there's still some wet marks and some puddles on a driveway here but this gives you an idea of how far this water came up it it has to be about 15 20 feet uh from where the water is now uh to this driveway that's soaked and uh, has puddles on it so you can imagine uh how bad this was over the weekend I know you'll be gathering some more stories and filtering back some more audio throughout the afternoon, Matt. Perhaps we'll catch up with you later on. Thanks for this. Okay, thank you. Global News, Matt Cardi in uh, Carmen, Manitoba. Keith McCullough has joined us as well. Keith, uh, the province uh, flood update, flood bulletin for uh, the rest of southern Manitoba. What are they telling us? I'm just trying to put off having to spell. Oh, yeah. You don't don't want to. I can't believe you volunteered for this. Well... That's kind of a loose use of the word, I think. You, it is. You literally pulled me in here. but Fair um, enough. <laughs> this has just come out, guys, on a more serious note from the province. They're going to be having a news conference about it later this afternoon. It's the latest flood bulletin. They come out daily now that we're into sort of the real heart of the flood fight. A couple of things that stood out to me. Uh, flood watch has been issued for the lower Assiniboine River from Portage La Prairie to Headingley due to possible ice issues there. So we know, as Matt's been mentioning, ice jamming causing problems in Carmen, possible ice issues, Assiniboine from Portage La Prairie to Headingley. As we get closer, obviously, to us in Winnipeg, that's certainly something to watch. In terms of the Red River and, and the Assiniboine too, within the city of Winnipeg, depending on when the ice runs on the Assiniboine River, a minor increase in water levels may occur at James Avenue. That's the measurement done in Winnipeg. It's expected the ice will move over the next couple of days, still expecting the Red River in Winnipeg to crest 
April 4th or 5th, so that could be as early as tomorrow or potentially Wednesday. But you mentioned it, Greg, all of a sudden over the weekend because of the ice jamming and the melt that's happening, we really are into a flood fight for 2017 in yeah, Southern Manitoba. I've got to wonder if these warmer ten- temperatures are exactly what we need now to melt some of that ice in terms of the ice jams. Uh, I know we'll be asking lots of questions as we make our way uh, through the days ahead. Why don't we take a pause? We'll come back. We'll update the weather, and then we'll have a little bit more fun in this first hour of Mackling and McGarry. It's a pop quiz. It's the first day after spring break, and uh, we're going to give you spelling quiz when we come back. Mackling and McGarry right here on 680 CGOB. I'm very excited to... uh, That your kids went back to school? (laughs) That too. That's what you're excited about. Yeah, first day back. Parents, you survived another spring break and uh, the kids will be going back. Hopefully their teachers will not be taking it easy on them and We'll be giving them pop quizzes like this one, a spelling text. You guys make it sound like having your kids home is the worst thing on earth. Well, it's not the worst thing. There are (laughs) worse things. He he wasn't even home with them. He was at work with us. That's true. There are worse things, to be sure. Uh, By the way, Faye says, uh, just to kind of wrap up our best worst excuses, my middle uh, daughter tried to get out of going to school, and this ties into our... Spelling quiz, because her eyebrows hurt. I think that's been my excuse, favorite excuse of all time. Did you have a go-to excuse when you wanted to get out of school, McCullough? No, I don't think I did, actually. That's because you probably never missed a day. All these bookworms here. Kyle Milroy. Uh, I got out of homework once because I told uh, my science teacher that uh, the Oilers game went to triple overtime in the playoffs. And he's like, well, at least you're honest. You didn't have another day. You get points for yeah, honesty, I thought about right? lying. I'm like, nah, I'm just going to tell the truth. I love <laughs> it. I love it. I've got a, a caller who uh, shared a story about honesty and how he got out of a situation with a police officer based on being super honest. We'll play that for you a little bit later from Peter. But this comes from, well, I'm not even going to tell you where it comes from because, yeah, I am. It's a viral video. It's gone I think it's 20 million times it's been viewed since last Thursday when it appeared on the internet. Darn, it's a, why haven't I seen it? Oh, good. I'm so glad that you haven't. Uh, Joey D is a teacher in the United States, and he executed on Thursday one of the best spelling tests ever. And I thought, you know what? I want to challenge my colleagues to see how good a spellers they are, because uh, this was a grade four spelling test. So just so you're prepared... It, this is grade To fours. be completely embarrassed. That's grade. right. Four. Okay, I think ready? it was nine. Okay. We've got pens and paper. We've got Kyle Milroy, producer it's, extraordinaire. It's starting right away. Julie okay. Buckingham, doing, doing co-host right. of the news. Keith McCullough, uh, global and 680 CJOB news reporter extraordinaire. And, of course, my co-host, Brett McGarry. I'm ineligible because I know all the words. So, are you guys ready? Uh, yeah, let's all do this. All the words, like all of them, not just these ten. Here we go. All right, going through the list with the spelling. You're checking your own list. Here we go. The first word was Blorsky. I lost my Blorsky at a carnival. <laughs> B- oh, they gave us the first letter. <laughs> well, big deal. Okay, you got that? I lost my Blorsky okay. at a carnival. Okay. You ready? It's the end. It's yeah. the Have end. you written out your uh, answers? Yep. Yes. Uh, I won't ask all of you for your answers for every word. Uh, randomly, Keith, what did you get for this? For Borski, yeah. B-L-O-R-S-K-I. I'm, I'm all in. Yeah. I'm yeah. all in. Are you guys all on the same page yeah. on this one? Okay, yeah. here's the actual spelling. L-O-R-S-K-E-E. Oh, oh. that is. 
That's, so what is a that's Mimorski? Rough. That's rough. Well, we'll talk about that soon. There's later. an X. Okay, you ready? That's what I call hogwash. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, me too. Here we go. The next word was tangentine. I eat my spaghetti with a tangentine. Okay, I'll give you a couple moments to sound that one out and see how close you can get. I eat my spaghetti with a tangentine. Tangentine. Mm. Milroy, what do you got for tangentine? Oh, okay, I went a little out of the box. I think uh, T-A-N-G-I-T-E-I-N. Mm, I don't mind that one. Uh, McGarry, wow. what did you get for tangentine? I, just, I spelled it like tangerine, but I just replaced the R with a T. All right, let's see the answer the answer here. That it's T-A-N-G-E-T-E-E-N. Tangentine. I was going to go with E-E-N. You guys were good. I eat my spaghetti with a tangentine. Still wrong, though. I say I am super good. Remember, you're marking your own papers. We're failing Remain honest. Remain honest. Here we go. The next word is spiku. Look, there's a spiku. S-P-E-E-K-U. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I figured I'd give you guys a little bit of a hint. It's a tricky one. This is a real tricky one. Oh, there's more after that? Well, tell me. So we we know up till... Look, there's a Spiku. S-P-E-E-K we know. Mm-hmm, Spiku. Oh, hang on. Hang on. This, is, this is one of the oddest words in the English language, if it's actually English. All right. All right. Speak. You got to finish it out there, guys. You got a three second uh, limit here. Speak. Are you ready? Yeah. Yep. Here we go. Z S L M N. There's oh. silent letters at the end of that one. We, uh, yep. Yeah, so you here need to get the background going. Z S L M N. That's absurd. Yeah. That's right. You got it? S P E E K U Z S L M N. I'm going to give my future kid like eight silent letters in his okay. name just to mess with people. Are you ready? <laughs> Come on. Look, you guys, look, the excuses are starting already from the, all of you. Here we go. It's, yep. It's not. <laughs> nope. It's actually from a, somewhere else, not here. The next word was a matter. Students said they were sick. I said, was a matter with you? Was a matter. Was a matter. Not feeling too good. What's I can't spell is, very well. What's, what's the matter with you? What's the matter? Is this teacher's making up a bunch yeah, of Yeah, that is not, not, a, so. that is not a word at so. all. You guys yeah. ready? Milroy, what do you got for what's the matter? Um, well, I didn't just use okay. the words Julie, crammed together. Julie, so. Julie, what do you got? I, I, did, I went kind of phonetically here. W-H-U-Z-A-M-A-T-T-A. Uh, what about you? What about? Were you copying? No, I have a. I have, I'm close to Julie, but my third letter is an A, and yours is a, a U. Okay. I have W H A Z A M A I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone. No, no, I'm calling BS. Here we go. No one in here is worth copying. Here we go. Here we go. W A Z A M A T A. What's the matter? You guys were all. I put an extra A in there, and that was it. You guys were close. Okay, here comes the next one. You ready? No. What's the matter? The next word is slippert. Slippert. Okay, come on. Be careful when sleeping. There may be a slippert in your house. I think I don't know if it's like uh, Ecuador or something like that. Might be an animal. Are you ready? Sure. What, yeah. do you, what do you got? What do you got there, Keith? S L I P U R T. Oh yeah. What have you got? I Julie? went S L I double P E R T. I went slipper with S L I P P U R T. I went with uh, what Julie had. All right. Yeah. Let's see the answer. Be careful when you're sleeping. There might be a slippert in your house. Mm-hmm. Slippert. S L I P E 
R T slippers. Uh, no double nice. P's. No yes. double P's. Come on, no. that's okay. not right. It's no. always double the consonants. Yeah. I'm trying to follow with a, a, the, the system that he's using uh, to make ready? up all these yeah. words. Are you ready? Are you ready? Doctor Seuss. There we go. There we go. The next word is ch ch ch. The horse was angry, so I said ch ch ch. Oh come on. What is it? That's a, that's like that's out of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. Well, uh, yeah. I know sometimes my dog and I gotta kind of kind of. I got, I got one. What do you got, No Rice? T C H dash T C H dash T C H. I like mine better. This will remind you of your days working in the restaurant. C H I C H I C H I. Because at the end of this, I want a margarita. I like it. I did C-H-E-C-H-E-C-H-E. Like, like Shave Guevara, Che Che Che? Right. I went Chi Chi Chi. McGarry, I see you wrote nothing That's down C-H-C-H-C-H-C-H. again. That's C-H-C-H-C-H. Oh. oh. <laughs> nice. Nice word. So the last close. word is Rolaskatox. Rolaskatox was surprised when Jinx took the crown. Rolaskatox. Rolaskatox was surprised when Jinx took the crown. Was it Rolaskatox or Tux? Tox. He sounded like he said Tux. Yeah, but he's an American, so he's got a little bit of an accent. Alaska talks. I double checked this one myself. Okay. All right. You ready? Sure. There we go. That's R O L hyphen. And I'm out. A S K A hyphen. T O X. If you didn't get the hyphens, I'm sorry. <laughs> How did you do, Julie? Did you get it? We just heard him say, if you didn't get the hyphens, I'm sorry you got the word wrong. Oh. Did you forget the hyphens, oh, Julie? I he said it was okay without the hyphens. No, no, no. Sounds nope, like nope. he was reading the pronouncer of it more than. <laughs> okay, guys, here we go. This, Two guy's, more. A, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> there we go. How did I get penalized there for no hyphens? There we go. Good talks. The next word was spinach. My favorite word, food is spinach and artichoke dip. Spinach. I don't know if it's one of these new fangled uh, hybrid vegetables or fruits. Never heard of it myself. Spinach and artichoke dip. What do you got there, Julie? S-P-I-N-O-O-C-H. Okay, Kyle? S-P-I-N-U with an umlaut, C-H. <laughs> oh, umlaut. Interesting, you bring that wow, up. Wow, uh, Keith? He saw me get burned on the hyphens. S-P-I-E-N-U-C-H. And McGarry, you just throw it in the towel. No, 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 he's got one. Oh, you got You I, tried I, this one? I spelled it out L-I-A-R. <laughs> <laughs> Judges? Let's see, let's see. That's S P E E N U C H. So close, you guys. So close. We're all around it, gang. You're all around it. I really want to give myself a one at least. (laughs) Well, you can all be the judge of that. Here we go. Two more. The next word is Shabola. Be careful that you do not catch Shabola. Shabola. I don't know if that's a secondary thing that you might get after you have Ebola. We don't want to joke about Ebola, but. Shabola. What, what did you get there, Keith? Uh, S-H-A-B-O-L-A. Same. Yeah, Sounds close. We're just, we're just going that way. I'm going with a C-H. Are you? Okay, no, let's see. That's... S-H-A-B-O-L-A-S-K-P. More silent letters. More silent letters. S-H-A-B-O-L-A-S-K-P. Oh, come on, Greg. This is not my title. This is not my My friend told me a secret. I looked at her and said, Gur? 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 Three silent letters? Gur? Wait, is Gur the, the last word? Gur, that's the last word. Gur. Right. My friend told me a secret and I said, uh, Gur. Okay, you ready? Gur. <laughs> Here it is. That's G 
you with an umlau that's Oh, there you, umlau, hey, you there see. You see? You're on the right I'm track. Ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. Two dots over the U. R R R. Yeah. G U with an umlau. R R R. Okay, your I next listen word, up. number listen eleven. Up. Listen is up. Listen up. April Fools, because this is an April Fools joke. <laughs> I can't believe. Well, you Brett guys sat here for this April entire Fools. time. You didn't call me out. <laughs> Brett knew it all. Those kids aren't ready to walk out of class. <laughs> and who could blame them? Could you imagine your teacher pulling that stuff? I got to admit, I I thought this was real. I, I thought too. this was real. Yeah. I thought they were just really weird words. Well, I, uh, uh, it's not Jerry D. It's Joey D. And this video has been viewed over 20 million times since Thursday. I got to hand it to him. Can you imagine having a teacher that engaging? I mean, th this is why I played it, right? This is a teacher that clearly goes to a long length of of, of actions to, to be respected and have some fun with his kids. Check with your kids what they did in school today <laughs> yeah, when no they kidding. get back, parents. What do you give them out of 10 on the uh, spelling test itself, Keith? Like just the whole idea of engaging his kids this way. Oh, yeah. Engaging the kids, sure, sure. Was it frustrating for me? 100%. You're damn right it was. I can't believe you sat there the whole time. Can we use these in Scrabble? Is that allowed? <laughs> we can. Yeah, absolutely. Out of 10, would no you give? No umla on that. On the engagement with the teacher? Oh, yeah, right up there, for sure. Kyle? Oh, yeah, for sure. 10 out of 10 on that. 0 to 10 right now, because we're all yeah. furious. <laughs> do, I, do I have to give him a grade? Give him a grade. Uh... Well, well, fine. I'll give him a... Uh, you would have walked out of the class. <laughs> yeah, I would have said the, question two. These are not words. He's <laughs> in the principal's office right now and can't answer this question. <laughs> Thanks for playing along, you guys. <laughs> Keith McCullough. Uh, what's your last name? Buckingham. Julie Buckingham and Kyle Milroy. You're, you like you enjoyed this too it's much. Speaking of engagement, you're drunk on power in here, Macklin. Here, Vince, before we go to the news, can you spell this word, Macklin? Chrysa. Can you spell that? <laughs> what is it? Kryza? Kryza. 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 C H O R Y Z A. Kryza. What he said. That's what you were thinking. <laughs> That's from script spelling bee in 2007. We're going to have to work on our skills before we get there, I think. Global oh, News at 2 o'clock up next. 2.05, Monday afternoon. The kids are back at school. Hooray for that. Uh, Greg and Brett with you. And. On March 24th, that was a week ago this past Friday, we got a news release from the City of Winnipeg Police Service. And Brett, I don't know about you, but whenever I see a release like this about a high-risk sex offender getting released into the community, it gets me angry. I don't understand why these individuals are allowed to be returned to the public, especially when the police go to the extent that they did with Winston George Thomas, 39 years of age, convicted sex offender who is considered high risk to reoffend in a sexual and or sexually violent manner against all females, both adults and children. I want to know why our justice system allows this. How do you feel about it? Uh, look, obviously I'm not... I, I, it certainly doesn't excite me, but if someone has done their time, that's that's it. But this is a person who's also being allowed out on parole, so that's another thing. I wonder, like, why, why, why not just have the full sentence be served? I don't know. I yeah, I don't, I don't have. I, don't, I'm, I guess I'm not comfortable speak, or speaking my entire opinion on this. So, well, then let's uh, go to the expert here, uh, Constable Tammy 
Tammy Scrabeck joins us now from the Winnipeg Police Service. And uh, Constable Scrabeck, thank you for taking some time with us on this. Uh, the individual in question, Winston George Thomas, is back in custody as we understand it? Yes. And that was because he, you were aware that he had breached his the terms of his release, yes? Yes. Uh, in his particular case, uh, the conditions were that he reside at a certain location where and, and uh, he was absent from that location. So there's the breach. So what happens then? This is an individual who was released on parole and, and now he just goes back to jail? Okay. Um, in his particular case, he's uh, he's... Uh, designated as a high-risk offender, which means he has conditions. And when he was originally released, and I'm, I'm not familiar with his particular dates, but when he was originally released, it would have been on a court order with conditions for a period of two years. So he had served his entire sentence initially. And when that sentence was over, the police obtained another order, uh, out, which basically meant he didn't have to commit a crime. We just applied to the courts for this particular order to declare him um, a violent offender and a concern, a concern to society. Uh, police obtained conditions for him, and he was released on that set of conditions for a period of years. Um, and it can range depending if it's just an 810 or a, a long-term supervision or whatever. So for a minimum of two years, he has conditions. When he breaches those conditions, he's not just taken back into custody. He's actually criminally charged now with a breach. So in his case, he has been criminally charged with breaching his conditions. He will appear before court and he will be sentenced again for those breaches and receive uh, an additional time in custody. When he's released from that term of custody, these outstanding conditions uh, will still be in effect. So again, he will be in the community, but he won't be unmonitored in the community. Here's the list of conditions for this individual. Prohibit the consumption of alcohol non-prescription drugs, other intoxicants, hairspray, gas, or glue, impose a curfew of 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. and require compliance with curfew checks, require that he attend, participate, and complete all assessments, treatments, programming, and counseling as directed by probation officer and prohibit from owning position or carrying a weapon. Those are pretty restrictive uh, supervision uh, orders. Was that fair to say? Uh, yes, the um, those, those conditions are actually not um, not unusual with high risk sex offenders. Um, more than half of the high risk offenders that are released to the community in Winnipeg are sex offenders, so they're all released with somewhat similar stringent conditions. But um, the interesting part of that is that the sex offenders are actually the less likely to reoffend than our high risk violent offenders. And when I say that, I mean like violent offending. So those sex offenders are not necessarily out there recommitting sex, sexual assaults and sex crimes. Um, in general, we're picking them up for breaches. And so are individuals like this closely monitored for breaches, Constable yeah. Scrabeck? Yes. The, we have a, a joint unit between the Winnipeg Police and with uh, the RCMP in Winnipeg that their entire role is to monitor high-risk sex offenders. So not only do they get these conditions, but there's a, a team that goes out and conducts some curfew checks that ensures that they're making appointments, that they are attending programming, um, and any breaches that are reported to them by any of these community helping agencies or supervising agencies, we will proceed with warrants or, or just arrest them on those breaches. Now, Winston George Thomas in particular, he is not unfamiliar with this kind of situation where he's 
he's released, he goes back, he's released, he goes back, and it seems to be this, he's like in this revolving door where he's just Correct. going in and out. So uh, what is your comment on that? Well, the, the, the issue with that is, I mean, first, we need to be very thankful that he's not a re- reoffending in a violent matter. He's not reoffending sexually. The problem is that he's reoffending through breaches, and those breaches in court don't garner a lot of time when it comes to sentencing. So these aren't violent crimes, but there are breaches of his court order. So he's getting maybe a period of two months for a breach, maybe a period of four months for a breach. The courts have their own standards on on convictions for breaches like this, and the time isn't very significant. So in those cases, it's always a revolving door. And like I said, the sex offenders in general are not reoffending violently. They're reoffending by breaching these court orders. Usually it's by abstaining. So it may be they need to report or a curfew check is done, officers are attending and finding that you know they've been consuming alcohol or uh, one of their supervisors have reported that they had uh, alcohol. Um, so it's an automatic breach. So the time that they're being sentenced to is very insignificant. So they're in custody. Within weeks, within months, they're out of custody again with the same conditions. Now, clearly this is a high priority if there's an, an entire unit that's being committed to uh, monitoring uh, these individuals ensuring that they are complying with the with the uh, rules surrounding their release. Fair to say? Absolutely, because community safety is always first and foremost. So uh, these aren't your everyday offenders. And like you said, uh, you know, police are going through extreme lengths to obtain these court orders, and that's just it. We don't need a conviction to get these court orders. We don't need um, new crimes to have been committed. So we're going to this extreme length to obtain this court order against an individual to say that based on his past and based on his history, he is a high risk to reoffend. And we don't just look at criminal history. We look at personal history, um, uh, some of his habits, some of um, things like alcohol and substance abuse, and all of those lend to the risk that he poses to the community. So that is why we have an entire unit, because now we have a small group of our criminal population that we've identified as being a high risk to re-offend. And our job is to ensure that they don't. (laughs) Constable Tammy Scrabeck with the Winnipeg Police Service. When you have an individual like Winston George Thomas, who is in and out of the system on what seems to be a, a constant basis, can you... Is it frustrating, or how frustrating is it for for the Winnipeg Police Service? Um, it, or can, or is, can you even comment on that? No, no, it is it is frustrating to have these offenders uh, repeatedly before you and and dealing with them regularly. But like I said, the I guess the part that makes it bearable is the fact that they're not reoffending against people. So we're not following up on crimes, we're not reinvestigating crimes, we're not victimizing more people by his release. We're simply, you know, trying, the whole point of these court orders is actually to, um, not just to prevent crime, but to assist those offenders in their own offending behavior. So to try to figure out what they need to do to live in the community without reoffending. So we make sure they're in, in programming. We make sure that if it's a psychological problem that they're receiving that type of help, if it's a medical problem that they're receiving that type of help. So it's it's, it's more preventative trying to uh, keep these offenders from reoffending. And that's kind of the whole point of these court orders. How does one find themselves categorized as a high risk versus something called a dangerous offender? And a dangerous offender under the criminal code if I understand it correctly, can actually be kept in 
uh, a penitentiary or a, in a prison situation uh, past their original uh, sentence, their, their time of their prison sentence, how does one move from high risk to dangerous? Yeah, there is a bit of a, a hierarchy, if you will. So the high-risk offenders are generally offenders that we've taken out 810 court orders. And eight, Section 810 is just a, a section of the criminal code where, as I mentioned previously, they don't need to be charged with an offense. We can obtain a court order based on their history. So with that, we get a court order for conditions up to two years. So that's kind of our our first uh, step in identifying them as high risk. From there, the Crown attorneys have the option of uh, proceeding. If that person reoffends after we've taken out that court order in an extremely violent manner or in a sexual manner, then prior to them being sentenced, but after them being found guilty, the court uh, can apply, or the, sorry, the Crown attorneys can apply for a dangerous offender status, and. If they can prove to a judge that this person is um, is guilty, and what a dangerous offender means is that the Crown doesn't believe they can be um, monitored in the community and that they can be safely integrated into the community without reoffending violently. So the Crown can obtain a dangerous offender order, and that order, it's up to the National Parole Board to release a person from custody. They can be eligible for release after four years, and they can also apply for parole. Um, Sorry, it was day day parole after four years and regular parole after seven years. And that's up to the National Parole Board to decide. But the dangerous offenders are monitored for life, and they can also be held in custody for as long as uh, deemed necessary. I want to make sure I understand you said something uh, correctly here, Constable Scrayback. It would be uh, up to the Crown at the time uh, that this goes to trial that a dangerous offender designation be attached to a crime, or can Mm -hmm. this happen afterwards? Because I'm trying to connect Mm -hmm. this, uh, you know, does this mean that someone like uh, Winston George Thomas would have to commit another crime in order for him to have this designation attached to his name? That is correct. So the Crown Attorney would have to apply for it before a judge. So if the offender is found guilty of, in this case, say a sexual assault, if the offender is found guilty prior to sentencing, it's up to the Crown Attorney to bring that uh, dangerous offender application to the judge's attention. And it's at that time a judge will designate him as a dangerous offender. So he would serve his entire sentence, and after his sentence, it would be up to the National Parole Board to decide whether or not he'd be released. So there, there is no uh, determinant sentence. Like, he wouldn't be given a sentence of 10 years. It would just be you are in custody until you're eligible for parole based on their guidelines. Uh, Constable Scrabeck, we, we've got a text message from one of our listeners who asks a question, and I, I'm wondering if it's uh, there's he, John isn't alone in asking this question. He's curious. He says, how is it that you're allowed to talk about this individual case? You know, a lot of times we can't talk about things that are in front of the courts and what have you. So why is it that we are allowed to talk about this particular uh, case? We're not really discussing an individual case. <laughs> um, I, Like I said previously, I actually know very little about his particular case, but I have been um, making applications on these types of offenders for 10 years, so I'm very familiar with the process, and that's really what we're discussing is the process that, um, that he would have likely gone through and that others who are also declared dangerous offenders and dangerous sex offenders have also gone through exact similar process. And the the details came from the release when he was uh, oh, yeah. when you when you know uh, we were warned as a public of his re-entering uh, our communities. So uh, th- that is of public record, correct? Yes, it is. 
Well, uh, so I guess we have a lot of answers to some questions that we're very curious about. And I guess the, the next set of questions are ones that you can't really help us with, but I'm sure you hear the questions all the time about why do we continue to perpetuate this revolving door, as uh, Brett referred to it. Well, and that is, you know, it's... Um it's a question we're faced with all the time, and it, unfortunately, it's not up to us. I think in a, in a lot of cases, if it were up to certain people, that these offenders, like you said, would be held in custody. However, the whole point to these orders and any other orders is rehabilitation, and it's you know easier for some offenders and more difficult for others. But in the long run, it is that's what we would like to see is is uh, safety for the community and have these reoffenders living in the community successfully, um, you know, contributing to the community, or the community not reoffending violently, not reoffending at all, and just being, you know, a, a productive part of community. So that's that's why we keep really releasing them, or the National Parole Board does, and that's why we keep trying to. Uh, assist them with programming and uh, monitor them, make sure that they are okay, provide them with whatever resources that they need. Constable Tammy Scrabeck, thank you so much for joining us today to uh, provide us with uh, your insight on this. We appreciate your time, okay? Okay, you're welcome. All right, Constable Tammy Scrabeck with the Winnipeg Police Service talking about a high-risk sex offender just last week. We told you that uh, police were warning the public, warning you about the release of a high-risk sex offender. And then this person, Winston George Thomas, breached his parole conditions and within six days and is now back in jail or back in police custody. He was captured by police on Saturday. 220 on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is up next. 224 on this Monday afternoon. And Brett, after a conversation with Constable Scrabeck, any more clarity for you in terms of, I mean, revolving door? It's a, it's a classic terminology, but I'm glad you brought it up because I know it feels that way to a lot of us. Uh, well, and, you know, I was, and I, I appreciate the, the the position that Constable Scrayback is in. I I, I would would suspect that I think she probably has a, a little and a, a deeper opinion than what she is able to provide us as a, an officer of the law. It's got to be frustrating for police officers who are constantly dealing with the same people over and over and over again. And even if it is just for for what, like she pointed out. This man, Winston George Thomas, has not been reoffending violently. He's breaching whatever his parole conditions are. So he's not checking in or he's not where he's supposed to be or he's maybe drinking when he shouldn't be or whatever the, ca- the Missing case is. Missing curfew, whatever it may be. Yeah, but right. but it's it's still then, the, okay, now the police have to spend their time, spend their resources going to find him, going to look for him. And it's just this... Oh, he's getting out of jail. I, I, like I, I, I wonder if if I were a police officer and this someone like this was released from jail after serving an eighteen month sentence or whatever, if they if they make bets, how long do you think it's going to be before he breaks his parole? He's a week after he's released from jail, he's back in police custody. What does this tell you about his commitment to reintegrating into society? About taking his quote unquote rehabilitation. Seriously, there's there's no commitment there. There's none. And I, I don't understand, and this is a question more for our friends in the legal community, I don't understand why there's not kind of a, you know, a, a list of things that you're not doing that build up against you. We don't want to have to. 
experience something where this guy's creating or a, a situation where he's being charged with a sexual offense mm-hmm. in order for him to get back in the system legitimately. You know, uh, Constable Grayback telling us, you know, he might go back for a couple months here and there. It sounds like this guy needs to go back for a little bit longer visit and needs to prove that he's dead serious about coming out and integrating and and getting the counseling, getting the help that he needs. I, it's beyond frustrating for me. If you go to our website, cjob.com, and just search his name, yeah. Winston George Thomas, yeah. Matt Cardi, yeah. Global News reporter Matt Cardi pointed this out to us, you get hit after hit after hit that goes back a few years where it's the same thing. High-risk sex offender set to be released in Winnipeg, and then police are searching for and then eventually recapturing. The, and it's just, it. like I said, it's this cycle that just keeps going around and around and around. 227 on 680 CJOB Global News at 2.30 is coming up next. It's 2.33 and I have to confess to uh, you, my friend Brett McGarry, that I had never, ever heard of the Boyne River until probably about 6 o'clock this morning. Yeah, same year. It would have been for about 10.30 this morning. For you? Yeah, when I when got, you got here. When I got to work. Matt Gardy is in Carmen, Manitoba. That is uh, southwest of Winnipeg on the way to Winkler, Morden, etc. on Highway 3. And they have school closures there and road closures as well because of flooding from the aforementioned Boyne River. And Matt Gardy, I'm going to guess today is your first knowledge of said Boyne River as well. You know what? It is. Uh, actually, yesterday was. I found out about the Boyne yesterday when I was uh, on the desk uh, there in the newsroom. Uh, and today I have the utmost respect for the Boyne River uh, just because I've seen firsthand about what it's done here and the water levels, uh, what it's done here as well. I got to tell you about this one house. It's on Bradford Drive and it was completely surrounded by floodwaters from the Boyne. So, just to give you an idea, around this house, the Boyne will wrap around and then around the back and then come back like a hairpin turn on the racetrack, if you kind of think of it like that. And so not only did the water come up from the back up to their back porch and deck and go into their basement, it also went over their driveway in the front. So it was covered in the front across the driveway. Now, he was uh, this homeowner was telling me that he was able to drive across it, but he wouldn't dare walk across it because he would lose his balance. Um, but just the immense power of this of this river that up until yesterday and for you guys up until today hadn't heard of. So what's next? Uh, we understand that the town of Carmen, their water supply is in direct threat from the Boyne River. Well, you know what? Yeah, so much pressure on the system today that I've heard of at least three different water main breaks. Uh, I was at another house. And right in front of their property, they also back onto the Boyne, uh, a water main broke there. So not only were they being flooded from the back, but there was also potentially the threat of them flooding from the front uh, with this water main break. And so the city officials here have had to turn off the water. So lots of water coming up from the river here, but uh, the taps aren't running uh, as far as I know. I am about to walk into a meeting uh, with the mayor here and just get the latest update. Can tell you some good news. You know, the water is receding. I told you about that driveway. It's, it's kind of dried off right now. There's some, there's some puddles uh, on this driveway. But from yesterday until today, it's night and day. 
the warm weather is here. It's, 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 it's a beautiful day here in, in Carmen. It's sunny. It's warm. I mean, I don't even have a jacket off right now. So that's helping things a little bit. I have spoken with some residents who are a little bit about a little concerned that, you know, this wasn't the worst of it. And they might see a second wave come in here and uh, make things a little worse. 680 CJOB's Matt Cardi, thank you so much for joining us live from Carmen, Manitoba, where the Boyne River has swollen in recent days and has caused some flooding. And as Matt said, there is concern that there could be a second surge, even though the water is receding at the moment. The headline reads, Tuition Increases Sideline Lower Income Students. That's from Robert J. Chernomas, Ph.D., professor at the University of Manitoba's Department of Economics. He's also the president of the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations. This has to do with Premier Brian Pallister and his progressive conservative government paving the way for tuition increases in Manitoba. Universities now have the latitude to bump tuition by roughly 30% over the next four years. Professor Chernomas, 30%, that is a significant increase for anyone regardless of income level. Yeah, but especially people at lower and middle income. The, the, the less income you have, the more university education is going to be based on income and as opposed to merit and as opposed to family values. And that's one of the problems that the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations has with rise, raising tuition. We think that's a significant problem. Robert, it's uh, Brett McGarry here, and one of the things that you say in your piece is that we know from recent history the likely effects of large-scale tuition increases. What has recent history taught us on this? That uh, as tuition goes up, the, uh, um, the income of families who go to university uh, goes up as well. And so middle- and lower-income families have uh, less tendency to go to university because they can't afford it and they fear long-term debt. So are there regardless o- of their merit, regardless of the quality of their work and their motivation. So are there other, let's pretend university was free for a minute. Wouldn't that be a panacea for a lot of people? But are, would there still be barriers for lower income people, regardless of the cost of university, in terms of their desire, their ability, their inclination to attend university? There may be those barriers, but why would you add a significant one like funding? And there are things other than university tuition that will affect people's motivation to go to university. But it really is an equalizer. I mean, the whole idea of the university, its contribution to democracy, is the fact that regardless of family background, you do have an opportunity to go to university uh, in that doesn't include how wealthy your family is, and we think that's very important. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe that was the point I was trying to get to. Maybe my question wasn't clear, that, that, that there would be barriers regardless of the cost, and I was hoping maybe you could expand on the idea that even if it was free, there may still be barriers for lower-income people to attend university, even if it was at no cost. The interesting thing is when you look at the countries where there are no fees, the Nordic countries, Germany, and others, there is much more equity in those countries. They're much more equitable. They're also very efficient, productive societies. And so whatever those barriers are, you're right, there are things other than university tuition, but they're also more equal in other ways. They also have much more social supports in addition to lower tuition. And so we're certainly, I'm certainly not opposed to more social supports in many ways. They're healthier, they're happier. Tuition is the one that as representing the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations that I'm particularly talking about, but certainly you'd want to expand um, 
public uh, sector supports for poor families. It seems to make a huge difference around the world. These, those countries that you referenced, uh, Germany and some of the Nordic countries in Europe, so you, they, they, students don't pay any tuition for university? To the best of my knowledge, we're actually doing an extended study on this right now, the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations. We have some consultants doing work, but no, that's right. And actually, in some of those countries, not only don't they pay tuition, but the governments provide them with support, living support, and room and board. And the reason for that is they believe in the long run, their economies are going to be much better off and democracy is going to be much better off, especially if they can... uh, Poorer folks can get access to universities. So they literally not only no fees, but they give them room and board as well. They actually pay them to go to university. Now, Robert, uh, we've had this discussion on air in the past, and some of the feedback uh, includes commentary with regard to, well, there are, are tax breaks along the way, uh, tax deductions along the way for not only for families, if students can't use them, they are transferable to parents and grandparents who may be indirectly or direct, directly supporting students. And not to mention Manitoba has this uh, incredible program where you can get up to 60% of your tuition back uh, following graduation. It, that's a, it's a good program. It's, as far as I know, it's 60% up to $25,000. But as tuition grows, uh, people are going to face more and more debt, and people with lower income are much less likely to be willing to face that debt, take that debt on. And so we do know, even with programs like that, universities become much more unequal if you begin to raise tuition. It's a good program. Maybe it should be expanded, but it still does not cover a dramatic increase in growing debt. And it's not just in Manitoba, it's other places as well that this is happening. And as far as that higher debt load goes, uh, you also point out that uh, not only can it can it hurt uh, you know students from getting into university, but it can also end up hurting the public interest in the long run in terms of the profession that these students are taking on. You know, like one out of five students coming out of Harvard, which would cost you $50,000 a year to go to Harvard, one out of five of them go to Wall Street. Some number like that I read recently. And so is that the kind of society we want where people are paying such high tuition and then there's a funnel right into the highest paying jobs, which may not be the most productive. And so if you're trying to hire uh, somebody who's got accounting skills and you're an NGO who's trying to protect the environment or public sector uh, law for poor folks, um, if somebody's got a big debt load, independent of their family values, their personal values, they're going to be driven to those kinds of jobs as opposed to the kind of jobs that would best serve those citizens of Canada and Manitoba. Professor Robert Chernomas at the University of Manitoba's Department of Economics talking about a feature that he has written, an op-ed piece for the Winnipeg Free Press, Tuition Increases, Sideline Lower Income Students. We will continue our conversation with Professor Chernomas after your forecast, which is up next. Talking about tuition with the progressive conservative government in Manitoba, paving the way for tuition increases. Universities now have the latitude to bump tuition by roughly 30% over the next four years. And the headline for an op-ed piece in Winnipeg Free Press today, tuition increases sideline lower income students. Professor Robert Chernomas from the University of Manitoba's Department of Economics wrote this feature. He is our guest this afternoon. And 
He has once again written the op-ed piece for the Winnipeg Free Press, and he's also president of the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations. The other conversation that takes place is whether or not this is an investment that should be exclusively borne by society, by the province, by uh, the people of Manitoba slash Canada, or it's an investment uh, by individuals in their future. How How do we balance that out, Robert? I think actually going to university does serve both individuals and the Canada and Manitoba as a whole. And so in my article, I'm arguing not that these people shouldn't pay for a higher income. They certainly should, but they should pay it once they're taxpayers, as opposed to a barrier to what you want to choose to do at university. Once you're making a lot of money as a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, then a progressive tax system, then you reimburse the, the system that has benefited you. And so and we both serve the individual and we serve the common interest and people then will pay for the university once they make the money as opposed to the, those, the tuition creating a barrier to university. So it's not as if, we're, you know, it's a free lunch. It's not. Right. It's just when you pay for it. So you would, uh, your, your tax bracket obviously would, would be changed, but are you talking about implementing a, a different or a separate tax on university graduates that would be dedicated to education? How would that work? I would, no, I would just make it a, a more progressive general tax system. Instead of cutting taxes, which are going on continuously in this, this period, I would have a progressive tax system, and depending on level of income, you'd pay taxes accordingly. And those taxes would pay for health, education, infrastructure, government investments and uh, that are necessary, which would include, of course, university. Not a special bracket, just a general progressive tax system. As well, there's a, as far as students who are on the lower end of the income spectrum, is it the, the, the ones who are at the lowest end who will suffer the most, or is it ones who are maybe sort of lower to middle who maybe can't qualify for financial assistance? It's, it's both. I mean, there's a kind of elasticity. And once again, we, what we're doing is we're looking around the world at different systems and different um, tuition levels to see as much as we can to find out just at what level the tuition goes up and, the number, and students at different income levels goes down. And so there's a lot of literature out there in the world. We're reviewing that right now. And But we do know that it's both lower middle and lower and middle that would be affected depending on how high the tuition goes. Just based on your family situation, hypothetically, I imagine it's more likely if you're, one of your parents is a doctor, uh, the likelihood of you going to medical school is higher. If you're, one of your parents is a lawyer, uh, same sort of situation. What's the detriment to closing off uh, these sorts of vocations to people from, uh, from lower economic uh, stratas in our society? Well, the whole idea of an education system is to make sure um, people that are motivated and, and it's merit-based, not based on your class. So what you're doing is you're, you're affecting upward mobility. And so the Americans keep talking about uh, being the land of the free and the home of the brave. And they have the worst upward mobility among, uh, among the worst, depending on how many countries you look at. And that's because they have so little social supports. And so actually what happens in countries like that with very low taxes and very little social supports, there's very little upward mobility. Whereas in countries like Sweden and Germany, there is much greater upward mobility. And so society is going to get the most hardworking and efficient people in the jobs that, is ba- that are based on merit and motivation, as opposed to basically reproducing the same 
sort of income classes that we get in countries with very little support and very high tuition. We want people to have the opportunity and everyone to have the opportunity, and things like tuition barriers create problems. How does that affect long-term public policy, law of the land, in a model like the United States, if you're continually uh, filling the funnel, so to speak, of of lawyers and doctors uh, with those that are in the family of lawyers and doctors? Public policy is going to get pretty sterilized at at some point, is it not? Uh, It does, and that's part of what I meant by the problem with upward mobility. There's much less of that in a place like the United States and much more in other countries. And, for example, if you looked at the World Economics Forum, um, which is the top thousand corporations, and they do a semi-annual report, an annual report on the world's most competitive economies, the Americans are in there. But the countries that dominate, the, and this is the business community, it's not labor, it's not environmentalists, it's the business community, and they do this annual competitiveness report. And in the report, it's the countries that are the high-tax, high-spending, countries like the Nordics and Germany, who dominate the top 10. And the reason is because everyone has an opportunity to succeed, and they also have a sort of much more public collective approach to that success. And so these are countries with have tendency to be less corruption, less lower crime rates than places like the United States, and they're remarkably productive and effective and much more equitable societies. And so the public sector has a cru- can play a crucial role in um, creating uh, not only um, equity, but also efficiency, also having a more productive economy. I wrote a free press article a few weeks ago, not representing the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations, where even organizations like the International Monetary Fund, Fortune Magazine, Business Magazines, are all basically arguing this strategy of cutting taxes and cutting the public sector and creating inequality actually creates problems for a well-functioning economy. And so the example here in Manitoba of raising tuition is just another example of the kinds of problems being created by that kind of economic strategy. Professor Robert Chernomas is uh, with the Department of Economics at the University of Manitoba. He's also president of the Manitoba Organization of Faculty Associations, written an op-ed piece in the Free Press with the headline, Tuition Increases, Sideline Lower Income Students. Ironic that uh, right now on Bernie Sanders... U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders' Facebook page, they're streaming live uh, video of conversation taking place in the United States, a push to make public colleges and universities tuition-free in the United States. Oh, really? Just as we're speaking right now. Uh, By the way, just about five minutes ago, this came across the sports wire, the news alert from the Canadian press. The NHL says it will not participate in the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, South Korea. The league announced its decision in a statement and now says it considers the matter, and this is in quotation marks, officially closed. Why don't they want to go to the Olympics? They were hoping that the IOC would pick up more of the costs associated with going to the Olympics, whether it be travel costs, insurance costs. These are the best of the best of the National Hockey League, and they've calculated... 
at least it would appear, that the cost-benefit to sending its best players to Pyeongchang, South Korea, is not there for them. A different time zone, wherein hockey would be on in North America, would be in the middle of the night, typically, very early morning, and they've decided that the marketing benefit for sending players to this event this time around is not worth it. At least that's how there's framing this in the in the public eye a lot of people were under the impression that it was just a negotiation ploy in order for the IOC to come to the table with more money to cover the fixed costs that are applicable to a situation like this and it's kind of interesting because of course the 2022 winter olympics are going to be in beijing and oh. the national hockey league just announced last week that they're going to be having two exhibition games with the LA Kings and the Vancouver Canucks next year. And it's thought that China is a much coveted market for the national hockey league as it is with all North American sports. And so, you know, South Korea in the same time zone, essentially as China. So it's kind of curious. A lot of people looking at that, if you're looking to appeal to China, why aren't you going to South Korea for the Olympics? So they say it's officially closed. I'm skeptical that there's still maybe a, a crack of daylight between the door jam and the door that is the National Hockey League and the IOC. We are going to talk about the Phantom of the Opera after Global News at 3 o'clock on 680 CJOB. Safe to say, Greg... That this music is immediately recognizable? Safe to say. (laughs) Without any question, doubt, or ponderance on my part. Phantom of the Opera. Exciting that it is coming to Winnipeg August 23rd to September 3rd. Tickets went on sale just over the weekend on Saturday. And we are joined by the... Let me get my schedule here, make sure my ducks are in a row. The Associate Director and Associate Producer... His name is Seth Sklar-Hein. He joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Where have we reached you, by the way? You got me in New York. I'm actually in the midst of auditions for a new production of Les Miserables. So I just popped out to give you guys a call. Well, we really appreciate you doing that. Hopefully you didn't leave too many auditions or auditioners up on the stage there. But The Phantom of the Opera, clearly uh, something that's close to a lot of people's heart. What is it that connects so many people with this story and this uh, overall production of Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, classic, really? Yeah, I think that actually is the perfect way to to refer to it. It has become classic material, at least within the musical theater. We we really think of it almost as our version of of a Shakespeare that can be interpreted and reinterpreted over time. Um, Andrew's music, the melodies, the orchestrations, create a great foundation on which the story can be told. The characters have also become just as iconic as those chords that you guys just played. And as a result, people, I think, have a quick uh, access point to the story since they they kind of know the Beauty and the Beast elements of the tale. And uh, more often than not, you're encountering audiences, if not one or, or, or a few of the people attending have seen the production in some way before. Now, I've seen that this uh, particular show, this particular run of it, is being described by some as bigger and better than ever. So what separates this particular version of Phantom of the Opera? Well, we've redesigned the whole physical world that the story takes place in, as, a, as, a, as opposed to the black void of the stylized lacquer box that the original took place. Now we, we try to create all the nooks and crannies of the Paris Opera House where the story occurs. And when you start off on a stage, you go backstage through the offices into the lair 
following the, the lake and the bowels of the building. So usually it's, it's the visual that people have the most awareness of when, when looking at changes. But from a, a nerdier standpoint, if you will, the, the direction of the, the piece has changed in so many ways. When we work on the when we work on the production with the actors, the way we approach the material, it really is trying to take advantage of new styles of direction and audience expectations, which have changed in the 30 years since the production was first created. Audiences look at a stage piece in a different way now in terms of how fast it moves and also sort of how we, how we present the lens of the stage uh, to an audience. So all, all those things have shifted, and as a result, we're trying to enhance the experience for audiences that are both familiar with the material, but also who are discovering it new for the first time. You talk about audience expectations, Seth, and the fact that Phantom ran in Toronto for 10 years and 4,226 performances. A lot of people from Winnipeg and a lot of people from across Western Canada would have seen a performance or two in that 10-year run. And so does that lend itself to that expectation from audiences that has seen it in Toronto, had seen it on Broadway, and now these traveling performances come to their town. They want to see the same level of production at the Centennial Concert Hall. Right. When we've got 52 people within cast and orchestra that are traveling with 20 tractor trailers, my boss, Cameron McIntosh, who's our producer of this touring production that's been on the road now here in North America for just over three years, he he can't do it if not big. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, I think when this production was originally conceived of to hit the road, it was about making it smaller, making it move faster. Well, we achieved moving it faster but we didn't make it any smaller than the original. So while the design is different, you're going to get your money's worth when you walk in and you take a look at what we accomplish on stage with regards to stagecraft and engineering, new lighting design, and just how we've reorchestrated the music to work with a more modernized sound system than would have been seen in Toronto the first time. I think it's been just over 10 years since it's actually played locally in Winnipeg. So I think it's, it's about time for this new version to come through. Now, Seth, I was reading an article in Playbill where you describe yourself as you want to be the guy the guy counts on. Can you elaborate everyone a little bit loves, on that? Everyone loves the West Wing quote. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's as, right. An, as, an American, as an American today, I spend a lot of time watching West Wing and thinking of the past. So, you <laughs> so know. Happier times? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've been a... I also describe myself as a fixer in a lot of ways, and I, I have the, the great pleasure of working with some of the the greats within the musical theater world that are still with us today, be it in the original production of Phantom or on subsequent productions that I work with Cameron on, like Miss Saigon with Bob Avian, who was the original choreographer from the first time around. You know, I get to work with these guys who know what they want, and in their minds, quite often, they achieved it the first time around. What's interesting about Cameron is he had so much success with these projects early on, be it Phantom or Cats, Les Mis, Miss Saigon, all of his titles. He's now had the ability to step back from them without keeping them precious and say, let me find a new group of people to reinterpret it. Let me find a new group of people to stage it and revive it in a way while still uh, celebrating the success of the original production. So the productions that I grew up on, both when I I lived in Connecticut, so just outside New York, and I used to see the touring productions come through, or getting down to the city when I had an opportunity, the productions that I grew up on and the double-disc CDs that I sort of listened to when I was 
was finding my way into theater. Um, now I'm having an opportunity to visit those for the first time anew with new creative teams and, and new designers and trying to show that they're still a vital part of the theater landscape. And there's a reason why people do describe them now as classics. And a lot of people, as you say, will have seen productions in Toronto and like we have here in New York and those who live outside of town. And they have a great personal connection to some of these titles, be it that they were introduced to them by family members or they were brought in as kids earlier on in their lives. And now this is a time to sort of capitalize in their own right on nostalgia. And uh, I have great, great memories of discovering these shows for the first time around. And, And I'm thrilled that we're able to deliver them now to places like Winnipeg in the same size, scale, and spectacle that I anticipated and and expected from the productions when I was growing up. Last question for you, Seth. When you're looking for those particular characters and those that are going to be performing night after night after night, I know the technical expertise and ability to to do the dancing and and to perform the songs are one thing, but... I'm I'm a sports guy, so is personality and your ability to get along with people uh, becoming as important, especially in a in a touring show like this one? Oh, definitely. When you when you tour, you really do tour as a small city. I mean, we've got people working in various departments: musicians, wardrobe, carpentry, props, and the cast. They're all touring together. Sometimes on the bus, sometimes they fly together. A lot of these people, especially nowadays when they're traveling around the country, are living together in apartments that they can rent so they can save some money while they're out on the road. So it really is to do with personalities. I mean, today already in auditions here for a separate production, we've already described three or four people as good citizens if we've known them from previous employment. So it is about creating a community that can travel and successfully live with one another both on and off stage. Good team players. Yeah, really good. Seth Sklar-Hine, I think we may have lost him just at the end there, but Seth, if you I put him on hold, if he is there, Seth, thank you so much for joining us today. Seth Sklar-Hine is the associate director and associate producer of The Phantom of the Opera, which is coming to Winnipeg August 23rd to September 3rd, Centennial Concert Hall. Tickets are on sale now. They just went on sale on Saturday, April 1st. And as you heard, uh, it's basically been, uh, they've redesigned the look of the show. So even if you've seen it in the past, this will be like watching it again for the first time. That's exciting. That is very exciting. I remember the first time that that boat or whatever it is comes out and it looks as though it's floating in the fog. I know very simplistic special effects, but Mm -hmm. you're convinced that certain things are happening and just engross yourself in it and get carried away. It's something magical about musical theater for sure. It is 317 on 680 CJOB traffic weather and we've got stuff to give away we'll do all of that starting in just a couple of minutes if you're trying to get those age of electric tickets you're going to be met by a busy signal at the moment 204-780-6868 get your dialing finger ready because we do have tickets to give away and we do have a question that you need to answer in order to get your hands on those tickets thursday night at nashville's that's out. To, is that the old Bullwinkles for a certain generation? Yeah, the Oak. The Oak. That's right. For another generation. That's right. Uh, we have a question for you. Two last names involved in the original incarnation of this band. And as we understand, both these last names, four members of the band, two last names. What are the last names of the four band members 
of Age of the Electric. <laughs> I wanted to say the Age of Electric. Age of the Electric. Age of the Electric. <laughs> I like that. Because we discovered the fact that AOE, it's actually the Age of Electric is the name of the band. The Age of Electric, yeah, but I guess it's also a very just colloquial to call them Age of Electric. They themselves, when you go to their website, the Age of Electric, yeah, they they refer to AOE. So, The Age of Electric, Age, Age of Electric. Age of the Electric, whatever you want Age to call it. Age of them. the Electric. That has a nice ring to it. Age of the Electric. Yes, I'm going to see Age of the Electric on Thursday at Nashville's. I shall meet you there, sir. <laughs> 204-780-6868. There are four members in The Age of Electric. Only two last names involved. What are those two names? 204-780-6868. Traffic, weather, sports, all coming up next. Details for Super Spike 2017 were released today. We'll get to those details in just a mo- moment, but we want to give away tickets, two tickets. These are valued at 40 bucks each, by the way, for Winstock. It's the 13th annual Battle of the Bands for Charity. It's the Business Community Battle of the Bands. And this year, the charity partner is the Movement Center of Manitoba. It takes place Friday night, Cowboys Bar at the Windsor Park Inn. The only downside is celebrity judge is Richard Cloutier, and the MC is yours truly. Starts at 5.30, goes till 11 o'clock. We're going to have a heck of a time. Would love to see you out there. We're going to open the phone lines uh, right now at 204-780-6868. You have to answer this question. We did a spelling bee between 1.45 and 2 o'clock with Brett McGarry, Kyle Milroy, Julie Buckingham, and Keith McCullough. If you can come even close to pronouncing one of the words that was on that spelling list, we will have two tickets for you for Friday night for Winstock 2017. 780-6868. Phone lines are open now. Okay. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's a memory situation or you have to t- dive back into the audio vault to confirm. Or maybe you just want to just take a guess at it. Yeah. There's a very good chance that you could just take uh, a stab and come up with something. Take a flying stab at a rolling donut, as I once heard in a movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little more salty than that. It goes a little saltier than that. Uh, Greg Poseshnik is event general manager. Super Spike has been putting on this outstanding event on an annual basis and in for a long time, it was in support for the national volleyball teams. Both uh, the men and women were both based here in Winnipeg. Then the men moved to Laval, and then last year, the women moved to Richmond, British Columbia. I think it was after 24 years, Greg? 24 long years, yeah. It was uh, it was sad to see them go, but uh, um, they made a new, new fresh start, and we had 24 amazing years with them. Um, and when it comes to Super Spike, who, uh, like you said, we just used to support for, for all those years, We've evolved. The, the event's still staying, and that was the biggest question I got uh, when people found out the National Women's Team was moving. Is, is, is Super Spike moving? And the good answer is no. We're uh, we're staying put. And in fact, we just announced today that uh, uh, the event dates this year, July twenty first, twenty second. We announced our entertainment lineup, and, and more to the point of your your segue there, uh, we announced our three new charities that are involved uh, with Super Spike. Um, this year specifically, and one moving forward. So we, we partnered with Volleyball Manitoba as a staple new charity every year. Um, so, so still, volleyball is the foundation of Super Spike, of course, and, and we're supporting grassroots volleyball, supporting the county games teams, the provincial teams, grassroots coaching. Um, so they're a 50% new uh, staple partner. And the other 50% that we made from Super Spike was split between two different charities each year on a rotating basis. And this year we selected Kids Sport Manitoba and uh, the True North Foundation, and more specifically Camp Manitou, uh, as our other two charities of choice. So... 
Um, we, we raised over a million dollars with Super Spike in the first 15 years, and uh, we plan on raising a heck of a lot more moving forward. So we're really excited about the, kind of the new impact we can leave in the community, and especially by kind of rotating these charities. We're going to kind of leave a, a bigger footprint for, for many years to come, we feel. Greg, the event, is it still being held at uh, Maple Grove Rugby Park? Yeah, exactly. Um, one of my favorite little diamonds in the rough in the city there out in the, in the south end. So beautiful place. We, we build about uh, 60 volleyball courts um, throughout the weekend and, and put up a concert stage in the middle of them all. Uh, massive beer gardens in the middle of all as well that holds close to 5,000 people. So just a, a fantastic festival site for an event like ours. Where did the Super Spike start? Where was it held when it first started? Um, good question. It was, it was at the Forks for the first couple of years when we were coming up with the concept back in the day. It was, you know, it was a fundraiser for the national volleyball teams originally. We, we said Manitobans, they, they like their volleyball, they like their music, they like drinking beer. How can we tie all three things into one? Um, the Forks was the first location and when it was a one-day event and when we were getting bigger and to the point where back when it was the Forks, there's just 30 teams. Um, in year one, I think, and 32 teams in year two. We're 500 teams now and uh, plan to get to a thousand in the not so distant future. So uh, Maple Grove Rugby Park gives us all the room to expand because on top of the beach courts, we have five rugby fields where we literally are planting the volleyball courts all over the place. So Greg, what level of volleyball do you have to play in order to get involved as a participant? You have to know what a volleyball looks like. That's the uh, minimum level. And uh, in fact, a large number of people that come in and play at Super Spike haven't played since junior high intramural. So what I equate it to is it, it's resort-style volleyball for the masses. There is a competitive division where you know people play right beside the beer gardens on the beach courts, and it's uh, you know some high-level players. The vast majority play in either our intermediate or recreational division. In our rec division, you're not even allowed to spike the ball. It's just get the ball over anywhere you can, kick it, you know, have a beer in your hand as you can volleyball, whatever it takes. It's all about the fun. And that's really the foundation of Super Spike. Is, is volleyball is an excuse to come out, have some fun, um, while you're listening to a ton of bands throughout the weekend. Great social environment. It's a great party. It's known as one of the best parties each summer. And, and again, the very cool thing is every dollar raised goes back to supporting charities in our community. Greg, you, because of the fact that it is known as uh, as a huge party, do you have to be playing volleyball to be there? Like, can you just attend as a as a spectator? Yeah, and that's when most people come for the first time. They they think I'm not a volleyball player. Um, I just want to go watch. Uh, so, for example, we announced the Sam Roberts band is headlining this year. Tons of Sam Roberts uh, band fans in the city. They want to go watch. Once they get there, they realize, holy smokes, this looks like a lot of fun. Next year, i got to get the beds together and put a volleyball team in. And that's what we find. It's, uh, our teams go up every single year for a reason. And once people go and, and they see how fun the environment is um, and that you don't need to be a volleyball player, um, you know, you just need to be willing to have some fun with some people, get the ball over the net anywhere you can. Then next year we find we see them coming back and putting their team for the first time and coming back year over year after that. So levels of volleyball for absolutely everyone across the board. And if you don't want to play, if you hate volleyball, if you hate sports, if you just want to drink a beer, listen to music, watch the crowds, by all means you can uh, still get event passes and show up for the weekend.
Greg, it looks as though you know your demographic and your customers well. So uh, we want to congratulate you for throwing this together again. It's a huge passion project. It's a huge undertaking. July 21st and 22nd, over 500 teams, Maple Grove Rugby Park. You don't have to play to attend. Sam Roberts will be there and a variety of other outstanding live entertainment. I guess you'll be announcing some other bands as we make our way closer to the event, Greg. Yeah, you know, if people hit superspike.ca, we, we announced the first eight bands uh, today, and it's the Sam Roberts band. We have the Lytics coming out. Uh, some great new bands are flying in from uh, as far as Toronto and Vancouver and a lot of other local fillers. So um, a, a strong part of the lineup's uh, online right now, and we definitely will be announcing a couple more bands as the uh, event gets closer. Superspike.ca, get all your information. You start buying tickets on Friday. Early bird tickets uh, get uh, launched then. Greg, thanks for this and thanks for what you do. Uh, Superspike is really one of the great Winnipeg summer events and appreciate you continuing the tradition as even though the national volleyball teams have moved on from Winnipeg, this event remains. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate it, guys, and hope to see you guys out there this year. Oh, I think you can count on that. Thanks, Greg. Greg, <laughs> Greg uh, Pesesnik uh, joining us. Uh, he's the event general manager for Super Spike. Sam Roberts, July 21st and 22nd, and, of course, all the good times your body and your mind can handle. While we're, uh, I think we're still waiting for a winner for the Windstock situation, yeah, but we did get a winner for the age, the age of the electric tickets go to Nancy Enns, who correctly answered the question, there are four members in Age of Electric, but only two last names involved. What are those two last names? The answer is Kearns and Dahl, or maybe it's Dale. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. Kearns, K-E-R-N-S. And And Dale, D-A-H-L-E. If you know it's pronounced any differently, let us know, Uh, but we're sticking with that for now. Yeah, well, I I don't really know, because I see that and I think of role... Rolled Doll. Yeah. Yes. Can't pronounce his name either. D-A-H-L, but that is correct. Rolled Doll. So, congratulations. Nancy ends. 347 on 680 CJOB. After traffic and weather, we'll hear what's coming up on the news with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. 351 on this Monday afternoon, and maybe the biggest story uh, right now is the fact that the National Hockey League has decided we are not going to the Olympics in 2018. In Pyeongchang, South Korea, Richard Kluche, the National Hockey League, saying uh, this is a closed matter. Question of the day at CJOB.com. You can log on right now and voice your opinion on that. I'm not surprised that they're going, given the talk. But in the end, you thought you, you would think that the value of the Olympics as far as exposing the product, but the fact that it is there. I'm, I'm not certain there's a lot of pressure and given the time zones and everything else for the NHL to what's in it for us now. And I think take they the know. pros out, take the pros out of basketball, let all of the young college players play. They're professional in every other sport. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I like the idea. No. I like the idea. Uh, yeah, they are. I oh. like, I like the idea of the NHLers playing in the Olympics. I, I love the idea. I think it's terrible. Well, all the cross-country skiers, all the figure skaters, all the ice dancers, all tour, they all make money. Not they're like all that. At, they're all at the top of their sport, and it's best on best. Everybody wanted to see best on best. The NHL didn't want to shut down for two weeks, and it'll probably be closer to three because of the time travel involved in the time zones, etc. They didn't see the value. Uh, you're going to see players... Alexander Ovechkin at the top of that list said, 
I don't care if the NHL is not going. I'm playing for Russia. And his owner has said, uh, Ted Leonis, who owns the Washington Capitals, says, I'm not going to stand in your way. So this story is far from over. It's not done. Uh, Carmen, our friend Matt Cardi, our colleague Matt Cardi down in Carmen. Uh, more flooding updates from the province? Yes, absolutely. And we'll check in with Matt as well. Uh, Tom Ethans will be by Take Pride Winnipeg, noticing on my drive to work that it is, it's just filthy on my way to drive. Yeah. So we'll get the. Yeah, Greg mentioned it the other day. I think when you described it, U G L Y. We yes. ain't got no alibi. Winter's not an yeah. alibi. We no. got to get out there this and clean morning this. This morning I saw a TV as I was coming out of my neighborhood on the side of the road. I was just like, oh no, people <laughs> disgust me. People I, disgust I, me. I saw a baby car seat on Thursday on my way to work at the side of the road. So. Yeah, it's and I wasn't even out of my neighborhood when I saw the TV. Oh, so. gosh. Also known as a boat anchor. So I think there's a local terrible. artist. Oh, a tube TV? I think yeah. there's a local artist that collects some of this stuff and makes art out of it. You know, found on side of road, dead art. What about all the shoes that hang over that? Uh, is it a wire across Wellington Crescent by the train bridge? Because you'll see these random shoes. One shoe? Who loses one shoe? <laughs> I mean, if you lose one, don't you just going to throw away the other one? You're not going to walk around with one shoe. It's kind of awkward, isn't it? Well, I'm sure John McClain would have been happy to wear at least one shoe in Die Hard. <laughs> he had none? Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't wearing his shoes. Hmm? I wow. didn't know that. You guys solve all the problems. Yeah. You really do. No what else? Kidding. What else are you going to solve for us? You'll uh, have to find out after 4 o'clock because we're out of time. Your oh, entertainment needs will be solved. We'll send you to see Miranda Lambert. Told you anyway. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, thank you very much. More from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB on the news. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling, Jeff Forte, and Master Control. Thank you very much, and thank you for listening to 680 CJOB.